With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. Coming off a thriller at Staples Center last night. The Clippers beating the Raptors late, making a quick run. Paul George, a block on one end, a three-pointer at the other. Really the deciding factor of that fourth quarter. Once again, the Clippers making a run, making a run. They're trying, trying, trying their hardest to get that one seed. But Phoenix goes ahead and overtakes that top spot in the West and top spot in the entire NBA since they have the tiebreaker with Utah. Going into Cleveland, they had their hands full. Isaac Okoro, my goodness, 32 points, career high. Taking it inside, acting like a power forward, even though he's a wing that's 6'5". But too much Devin Booker, too much Chris Paul. Mikel Bridges shows up in that second half, really makes a huge difference. Cam Johnson dunks all over Jared Allen. And the overtime period goes 20-4, to and they win by 16 points. And like I said, that top seed in the West is now theirs. So they're shuffling up there. There's also shuffling in that middle. (laughs) Dallas, the Lakers, the Blazers, all of them separated by less than a game in the five, six, and seven. Who's going to be the odd man out and in that play-in tournament? We'll get to that and a lot much more on Keep It at 94. What's up, guys? Spencer Davies. Brian Fritz, back with you again. Another episode as a part of the basketballnews.com podcast network. Can't wait to get going today. Another week, week and a half, two weeks before we get into real postseason play and talk. Like, real, real. Like, it's already there, but I'm talking about when you're you're counting on one to two games to change your season or to end your season because there's a lot there's still a lot of things that can happen for these standing boards to shift and uh, I'm I'm really excited about it I don't know about you I'm still wondering who that person is going to be that gets fired for coming up with this stupid play in tournament idea Oh wow you have a very original thought there Mr. Fritz those are the thoughts of what LeBron James from earlier this week, who I will say this a couple of years ago when the play in tournament idea was uh, being bantied around. He wasn't a fan of it then either. But um, regardless, I will say this regarding the play in tournament, not that we need to have a long discussion about it, but there was so much of a problem when it came to tanking in the NBA. We don't have that problem this year. And I know it's not going to be fun for some teams that got to play in the play-in tournament that we're not expecting it. However, win more games, finish in the top six, you want to be in the play-in tournament. The play-in tournament, 
has got everybody talking right now when it comes to jockeying for position. It makes it that much more important to win these games, not only for not trying to tank for lottery position, but also to try to improve your positioning when it comes to the playoffs or having to play in a play-in tournament and play an extra game or an extra two games. It's got fans talking about it, and it's going to get more viewers watching those games down the stretch and in the play-in tournament. So overall, it's been a good thing. Plus, it's probably going to make more money for the NBA, and you know they're going to like that. So I... I think this whole argument about the play-in tournament, it's more for some of the players than it is for fans and everything. But, um, hey, I, I don't think the play-in tournament is going anywhere. It's just there are some frustrations by some players that we're not expecting to be in it and now are fighting tooth and nail to make sure they're not in the play-in tournament. But, you know, when it comes to this whole argument about all these teams down the stretch and everybody jockeying for a position, here's how weird of a week it's been, Spencer. Off the top of my head, the Celtics lost to the Oklahoma City Thunder, who are almost openly tanking, one of the few teams doing it. But then the Thunder lost to the Pacers by more than 60 points in almost the biggest loss in NBA history. This week also saw the Mavericks lose to the Kings, a team that, for whatever reason, Dallas cannot beat. Those same Kings come back, take on, the Lakers, who are getting LeBron James back, hallelujah, the King is back, and the Lakers lose to the Kings. Then the Lakers lose to the Raptors, who have struggled so much. Everybody's panicking. LeBron is now out again because of soreness in his ankle, and yet the Lakers somehow scrapped together a vintage defensive-minded victory to beat the Denver Nuggets. I can't explain any of this, damn it. It's tough. It's tough. I, I will say Anthony Davis asserted the hell out of himself in that game. And that's what you want to see. And, and let's not forget that these guys that are coming back, they haven't been playing. What, what's something that we talked about two weeks ago, three weeks ago, about how much time are they going to have to get themselves reacclimated? I don't care how talented you are. I don't care how good you are. It takes people time to get physically reacclimated, uh, timing, all of that matters so you know anthony davis goes out and, and does his thing mark gasol coming in and making a huge impact while andre drummond struggled to uh you know do do anything with nicole Jokic. uh you know frank vogel made the adjustment brought mark gasol in made a huge difference you know um and, and i think that led to a lot of conversation about should that be more of a platoon than a you know person that's out of the rotation right I think one of the uh, weird things with the Lakers that makes it different for them is that, you know, when it comes to like the Nets and all of their injuries, like when Harden comes back, we know what his role is going to be. And I don't think they have as many rotation question marks, but the Lakers do because of they do have Drummond and they've got Gasol and where are they going to play Montrezl Harrell? What other wings are they going to play? So there, there is more of a chemistry thing. I think when it comes to them and in rotation, and I think that's something that they're slowly but surely figuring out. I, I will say this as somebody, and you will know this a lot more than me because you know, Drummond played in Cleveland and you saw a lot more of him than I did. I know, I know of his game, obviously, but you really, when you start watching a lot more of Drummond, you can really x-ray where the problems are with him from a standpoint that, 
I don't feel like the guy is trying that hard, except when he has the ball on offense, when he's asked to do so many of the little things, when it comes to make that extra effort to block that guy out and get that rebound, when it comes to, you know, playing the right kind of defense and being in the right spot and doing all of those things, you do not see that. And it always seems like he perks up when he has the ball in his hands in the post and he knows it's my turn to take a shot. And I obviously haven't had the chance to watch too much of Andre, uh, but has he done any of those things where he gets it on the block and tries to go one-on-one uh, with guys inside? And, absolutely. Uh, absolutely. And the other night, you know, when they played the Nuggets, and and I think one of the reasons one they got Drummond too is because they wanted more big bodies to throw a Jokic in the in the to throw a Jokic in the playoffs. So I get it from that standpoint. But you saw how quickly they shifted in a game that the Lakers absolutely needed and said, We're gonna go to Gasol here because Harrell is an undersized big. He only played 10 minutes in that game. And if Drummond is not going to do those things defensively, because that's he didn't have he, a single rebound, by the way, he had yeah. five fouls, not a single rebound, turned the ball over three times. He had an assist and two steals, but two of five from the field for, for four points. That was all in 21 minutes. So they had to change something. One of the best rebounders in modern NBA history. And he gets zero rebounds. And that's what the Lakers need from him. Rebounds, defense, Offensive putbacks. Don't worry about getting the ball and getting your shots on offense. They made the adjustment. They went with Gasol. He played better defense. I mean, Gasol was not the defensive guy he once was, but he's out there trying a lot harder. The ball moves a lot better with him, obviously, because he's on the perimeter. He's looking to pass first, even though I believe he had three threes in that game, which he He doesn't even want to shoot. I mean, he is hesitant to shoot. And I think, you know, more and more, you can see the glaring holes when Drummond's on there. They're good. It's not that he's not going to play. It's that he's going to play less, and it's going to be more kind of what the matchup is. Kyle Kuzma came out, I think, even before that game, and I know he did afterwards, and saying, we've got to get Mark on the court, and he's got to play more often. You know, he's got to be playing in every game. He, he needs more minutes because, I mean, there's been a lot of uh, DMP CDs, you know, for Gasol over the last, you know, two or three weeks, you yeah. know. Harrell, depending on the matchup, his minutes are going to be curbed because guess what? You've got Anthony Davis back. And, and I think even when it comes to defensively, the putting AD and Drummond on the court together has caused problems for LA's interior defense. But when Drummond's not out there and AD can be that guy that's roaming the middle and taking care of that, and he's back. I mean, you saw that effort he had against the Nuggets. And then Gasol can do his thing, but kind of, from a different spot that worked a lot better. And that's something I think we're going to have to watch because it's cool to have, you can do a bunch of different things. The problem is making sure everybody is going to be happy with those minutes and they we're all on the same page and we are trying to win a championship here. This is not just trying to get into the playoffs. This is we're repeating as champions. So put your ego aside and do the things that need to be done in the minutes that you're given. And that's going to be a big question mark here for the Lakers. Address the elephant in the room, though, Brian. You haven't addressed the elephant in the room about this team yet. And that elephant is LeBron James and his health. Because, you know, what's weird. If we go back, you know, even like a month ago, and we were talking about when AD and LeBron are going to come back, 
I had kind of thought like, well, LeBron, when he comes back, he'll be fine. AD, I don't know. It's an Achilles thing. You got to be careful about that, especially for a big guy. It feels like it's turned out to be the exact opposite. AD has been fine. He says he's fine. There's been a couple of times where it looks like he maybe banged up his calf or something, but he says that that's not it. With LeBron, he gets pulled out of the last game of the Raptors, doesn't play the final quarter. He's now going to miss at least the next two games, which is a back-to-back against the Clippers, the Blazers on Thursday and Friday, which are very, very important games for the Lakers, especially the Blazers game. So he's going to be missing at least two more, and it's kind of a day-to-day thing with him. The team is saying we expected this. We expected him to have soreness coming back. Frank Vogel went out of his way to say that. That being said, it has to be very a big question mark when it comes to this team because I I get it. Like come back from a high ankle sprain can be very difficult, but it has to be a very worrisome thing where you said we brought him back and now we're already having to sit him down for a couple of games and. I don't care what you say about like, we expected this and, and whatever. I'm like, that's worrisome. And they, they will go other way too and say, he's not taking a step back. This is not a step back when it comes to that injury, but it might not be a step back, but it's definitely not a step forward. I feel like this is out of the uh, Stephen Curry playbook from a few years ago. Um, basically him saying that he's never going to be a hundred percent for the rest of his career. Um, is is one way, and it, and it and it's probably true. I mean, dudes getting up there in age, just is what it is. Uh, but saying that, if he's not over able to overcome said injuries, um, and they do fall short of a championship, then he'll have that as explanation, right? But. If he is able to overcome said injuries, he is able to start changing direction and all that because that's apparently uh, the report of what's wrong is that he can't make these cuts and he can't, you know, go diagonal and take different angles to the rim. Well, especially on defense, you can tell because early right. on the season, that's you could see where he was expending so much energy and he was great defensively, and that it was not the case when he came back. Right, right. So if he is able to figure that out and the Lakers do, in fact, repeat, then he looks like a god. So he's kind of, I feel like he's playing this game where uh, I believe it was uh, Emmanuel Acho called it self-handicapping, uh, and, and I really liked that comment uh, and that that kind of the breakdown of, of what LeBron's doing strategically here, uh, putting this out publicly. And um, like Acho said, too, all of us do it in some way respect or fashion just to kind of maintain our our confidence our self-confidence um but i I just found it interesting uh, that he did say that um but it also could be taken uh, you know a different way because lebron's always been gumby to me he's always somebody who's never had a major injury he's somebody that is always able to bounce back from these things that look awful on the court and he's you know, going skying for a dunk or, or making an awesome pass. And, and, and you're like, how is he still playing? But now that father time's taken over a little bit and you kind of see it, you see it with this ankle injury. Uh, I believe he had a sore calf. What was it last year? I know that the first year with the Lakers, he had some injury problems and that's really the most we've seen LeBron injured at any time of his career has come in Los Angeles. 
So I do think that there's merit to it. And I do think that uh, aging is starting to come from despite the fact that he takes care of his body better than anybody else in the league. Well, remember too, there's two different things that are a part of this as well. Number one, he and the team understands the end game of let's make sure that he's in the best health possible for the playoffs. And that, yes, we want the best positioning we can get before then, but the playoffs are a different game. The other thing is too, he didn't practice before any of this. Yep. He's just been rehabbing. There has been no practice time for LeBron James coming back from this. There's, there's been no time where he has done hardcore drills with the cutting and different things like that in real time game action. And that's league wide too. Nobody's yes. practicing. Nobody's practicing. That That's it. You know? So you, when you look at that, like you can understand there's going to be soreness. So that's, I mean, I'm still a little bit skeptical and I look at it as going, man, they got to be worrisome about this because he's having that soreness, but maybe it is just a case of, Hey, He's got soreness. Let's be safe about this. And let's, we've got AD back. We've got everybody else back. Let's not push the envelope. I mean, LeBron's flat out said, like, it doesn't matter what positioning we're in. He goes, all that matters is that we're healthy, which means if I'm healthy, we can win it all. If I'm not, we ain't going anywhere. You know, I mean, he's not going to say it like that, but you know, we know that's the case. I mean, I, I thought it was pretty glaring when he made that comment over this week, what was it? Some like, I'll never be a hundred percent for the rest of my career. And it's just like, you don't hear LeBron say that. Like it's, it's a moment of like pure honesty and we kind of know it without him having to say it, but like you, an athlete of that caliber normally will not say that, especially somebody that is still playing as well as he has been before this injury. Like I said, self-handicapping. That's what Acho called it. And I liked the way he, that, that he put that. But I will tell you this, I, I did not I did not foresee them dropping as far as they have and possibly being a part of this play-in tournament, depending on what the Blazers do. Like that, that's just wild to me. Um it is. But it's it, also it, it does it is also a testament uh that the Lakers have been able to stay in that position without said two best players. I will I will also admit that. Um, Portland's played better and they've kind of righted the ship as well. So they put themselves in that position. The Mavericks are still kind of up and down. I mean, they've won seven of the last 10, but like they don't they want to beat the Kings. That's they the can't only beat problem. The Kings. It's so <laughs> weird that they can't. And they got a big win last weekend without Luca when uh, Tim Hardaway Jr. Put up 42 last night Tim Hardaway Jr. Put up 30 plus and beat, they beat the heat handily. Like it, so, so Timmy's starting to find it at the right time of year. Uh, and but, the thing is, too, like if if the Mavericks, the Lakers and the Blazers are all tied at the end of the regular season, do you know who gets the five seed? What's the tiebreaker, Brian? Whoever leads their division. It's not even head to head. Wow. It's division. So it'd be the Mavericks. Interesting. So leading a division actually matters. How about Yes, that? it does. You would think it'd be head to head, but in this case, it's not. It's wow. division. So the Mavericks would get it. Um, and I'll just run these down real quick, okay? Because we've got each team has about six or seven games left. The Mavericks have the easiest schedule between those three teams, I believe. So the Mavericks are, their schedule is home for the Nets, home for the Cavs, at the Cavs, at the Grizzlies, home for the Pelicans, home for the Raptors, at the Timberwolves in that there is only one or there's two back-to-backs. The Nets and the Cavs are a back-to-back. 
The Grizzlies and the Pelicans are a back-to-back. And they're done with the Kings. They're no done more with Kings. Kings. The Lakers have six games left. No, I'm sorry. Is that right? One, two, three, four. They have seven. But the Lakers have three back-to-backs. They play the Clippers and the Blazers on a back-to-back. Come home for the Suns. Then a home back-to-back against the Knicks and the Rockets. Get a couple of days off, then go on the road and finish on a back-to-back against the Pacers and the Pelicans. Eeks. Eeks. Eeks is right. That's a tough one. That's a toughie. The Blazers have one back-to-back. They're at the Cavs. Home for the Lakers and the Spurs. That's the back-to-back. Then they're home for the Rockets, at the Jazz, at the Suns, home for the Nuggets. So that's not exactly an easy last three games there. Um, But they do have the Cavs and the Rockets sprinkled in there. It's true. I got a question for you. Sure. Since we're talking about it. Are the Kings actually dead? They've won five out of their last seven, Brian. I know. And it's all been without De'Aaron Fox. They're playing defense. Do you see the points that they're giving up? They've given up less than 100 twice now in the last three games. They're actually defending. I think a big part of that has to do with, you know, guys like DeLon Wright. You know, Rashawn Holmes is playing a big role there. Um, Mo Harkless. Like, I, I again, I don't get them. But somehow I don't think they're dead. Well, they've lost and if Halliburton you look at, as well. They did. They did. And that's he's, he's probably done for the season. But yeah, that's I mean, a, unfortunate. The problem, though, is they're still three and a half games out of the 10 seed with right. seven games to go. And they would have to leapfrog the Pelicans. Look who they're playing. Okay. So at Indiana, yeah. the three game homestand Spurs, Thunder twice, at Memphis twice. Those, are, those could be the biggest games of the, of the, of the season for them if they yeah. actually pull this off. And then Jazz at home. And you would assume, depending on. What happens with the top seed? The Jazz might be arresting some people that day. Could be, could be. So that's what that kind of piques my interest now that I look at them. And, and it's hilarious because you wanted to bury them. I've wanted to bury them. I still want to bury them, season. man. Are you kidding? Like, I can't believe that what I know that the Pelicans have, switch. you know, their chances. Um, By the way, so but, they have to catch up with the Spurs. The Spurs, remember, they've been playing like a furious number of games to make up for the first half they still have eight games and five of them are on the road they still have to play the jazz they go on the road against the kings then they're on the road against the blazers home for the bucks then they go to new york for a double dip they play the nets and the knicks and they're home for their final two against the suns oh that's got to be curtains good lord there's no way the pelicans have to be sitting there going if we don't get this 10 seed what the hell are we doing here? Okay, because the Pelicans... It's, it's right for the Kings. It's right for the Kings. It's, it's right for Brian. both of them. It's it's perfect. That the schedule is like... That's brutal. That it's is brutal. rough. I think I saw the Suns on there twice and the Knicks. Oh, The God. Pelicans only have six games left. They play the Sixers. They have five in a row on the road, though. Sixers, uh, Hornets, Grizzlies, Mavericks, Warriors. Then they end the season at home against the Lakers. That's still decently tough, though. It is. And then I look at the King schedule. I, I don't oh, know. Oh, you man. might be right, man. I don't know, man. God. They're the zombies, if they, if, man. Can we refer to them as the Sacramento zombies? They if they get in the there, life. 
if they get in there and then De'Aaron Fox comes back and that's like their play and hope, it's like rides on De'Aaron Fox, that'd be so fun. That'd be so fun. Wow. I, like, I, I literally just came out, like, just looking at the schedules. I'm like, I, they kind of caught a little fire here and they're playing defense. So let's see. So let's how do they blow now. it? How do they blow it? How do the Kings blow it? Yeah. Like they by just losing get, one of those games. They get the thumped by the Pacers and the Spurs in their next two games. I don't think they're getting thumped. They're playing defense. It's weird. It's weird. I don't know. Well, they, they've got bad habits that are right around the corner. All right. You know, you always fall back into the. <laughs> I mean, we, we can't. We into can't, the old ways, right? You can't have track meets like the Wizards Pacers 154-141 game. That wasn't even fun, an overtime game on Monday. Fun fact, by the way. The Pacers, in the span of 72 hours, scored 152. And they gave up 154. What in the blue hell? <laughs> like, I can't explain this league this year. It's topsy turning, and it's not. But uh, you bring up the old wizards. It, it's it's time to give them props, Brian. I'm, it's time to give Russ. We've Westbrook been giving props. them props, dude. They won eight. But it's 10. time to do it. It's time to do it realistically now, because you know before it was as a joke, you know all that stuff. Oh, hey, the Wizards won five in a row. Oh, they lost five in a row. Oh, they won four in a row. Oh, they're down seven now. Like they're actually in this thing. They're creating significant space from the Raptors. They are locked anything, into that ten seed. They are locked in three and a half if, ahead of the if, Raptors. If anything. The, the the Pacers could fall out uh, of that and Toronto could come and snatch it. That was a big loss for the Raptors uh, against the Clippers. Big loss. They played their asses off, by the way. The Wizards are only half game back at the Pacers with the nine, and they're only two back at the Hornets. That's what I'm saying. That's what I'm saying. They're, they're going to be climbing up here, um, and Russ is playing his best basketball. Bradley Beal is still in a heated battle with Steph Curry for that scoring title. Uh, their offense is... I dare say, like, virtually unstoppable right now. It's ridiculous. Because Russ Russ has that groove going right now to where he's not – how do I say this? He's not forcing the issue. He's finding his teammates, um, looking for Daniel Gafford on lobs, looking for guys on, on the perimeter to shoot threes, and they're shooting pretty well. Dave, uh, Davis Bertans has had a much better second half of the season. This stretch that Russ is on over the last month and a half, two months, is this better than his MVP season? It's got to be approaching close to it because what guy goes out and gets 20-plus rebounds and assists in the same game? Tell me. Tell me. He had 14 points, 24 rebounds, 21 assists the other day or 24 assists and 21 rebounds, whatever it was. It's equally as crazy. It's equally as crazy. I mean, it's about time, and it's great to see that Russ is healthy. We've been waiting for this for so long, and the Wizards went through that stretch in the first half where they were decimated. I mean, for two weeks, they couldn't even practice. Their team got beat up so bad between COVID and injuries and whatnot, and they've been fighting that all season, trying to overcome it. And here they are, and... They're going to find themselves in the playing tournament. I I think it's going to be tough. I mean, well, they're not going to get all the way to like the six seed because they're still, you know, four and a half back of the heat there. They're going to be in the playing tournament and they're going to be playing the best ball probably of those four teams that are in that between if it's, it's likely going to be, you know, 
it's either going to be the Heat or the Celtics, and then the Hornets, Pacers, and Wizards. That's what we're probably looking at. I really want to know what this team looks like if they don't go through those those COVID games and and miss two two weeks of the season. I really want to know. But it also could have been it it also could have been paramount to Russell Westbrook getting healthy too. It was just getting extra time off. But I want to know. I do want to know because Rui's also on that 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 climb as well. Yeah, and like look at the season the Celtics have had. You can't explain that team at all. Tatum's finally been coming around. He puts up a sixty, and then they lose to the Thunder. The Thunder. Yep. Don't know. Don't know. I let me ask you this, okay? Aaron Neesmith's come around for them, though. So I brought up this question on our little on our outline sheet that we have. Who scares you more right now, Russell Westbrook or Steph Curry? Who would you want to play less of? Now I understand the team element and everything too, and you got Bradley Beal and the Wizards and everything. But what of those two players? Who scares you more? The answer is still Steph for me. It's just he's in. Uh, he never stops moving, and as good as Russ is with the ball in his hands, uh, we don't see him moving off the ball like Steph does. We don't shoot him, see him shooting the ball like Steph does. Um, and that is no, that is not taking away a, an ounce of what Russell Westbrook has accomplished in the second half of this season. Um, but Steph's leading the league in scoring per night right now. He's scorched earth from deep uh, still. Uh, he's going out and getting rebounds. He's making assists, uh, taking care of the ball. The Warriors are still afloat because of this guy. Uh, and you can say the same thing for the Wizards. Um, but individually, um, I'm taking Russell Westbrook's drive more and his his tenacity and his physicality uh, and his attitude because I, I just love seeing Russ. When, when he's on, I just love seeing him barking and, and, and being Russ, you know, like being aggressive and, and, and talking to the crowd and all that. I love that. Steph's your more finesse type of guy, but he still is just as dangerous, if not more dangerous, because of the way he changes the game, man. Uh, what what defense can account for a 35-foot point three-pointer? Um, what defense can account for someone who slithers around the court and gets open, comes off a screen, has an inch of space, and can throw up a three, right? You know, it's 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 a very... It, they play completely different styles, completely different styles. And both are uber talented and, you know, both dare I say like top eight MVP candidates this year, like top eight, top, top 10, maybe. I don't know. I don't know if I can get there with Russ but, because of how many games he's missed. But I mean, I, I agree with you from the standpoint that it, as great of a run that Russ is on right now, there is a scarier element to stuff because come the end of the day, it's about getting buckets. Yeah. And that dude can drop a 50 on you at any moment. Yep. At any moment. I mean, by the way, have you seen or care to guess this? Okay. In the last four games that Steph has played, how many three pointers has he attempted? In four games. I'm not looking at a stat. I'm not looking at a stat. Um, I'm going to guess it's double digits in every game. Uh, let's go 47. Uh, higher. Wow. Uh, in four games. Holy shit. Um, 55. Higher. 
Good God, man. You're cold, dude. You are cold. 70? 72. Holy hell. 72 threes in the last four games. Bombs away. He put up 20 in the loss to the Pelicans. In a game, they have to be kicking themselves. They lost. But he was shot that last night, last, yeah. last night's game against Pelicans. Because yeah, I know they split Tuesday it. Night. They had the Marvel game. The Marvel game where right. the, the broadcast was really cool, by the way. It uh, was. It was fun. Draymond won the most hero points more mm. than Steph, more than Brandon Ingram and Zion and, and Wiggins. I don't know so if you saw it, funny, but in the but... game on Tuesday night, Lonzo got into it with Draymond because Lonzo was on fire and he was jawing back at Draymond. <laughs> Did you see the, the, the dagger shot he hit? Yes. Dude, Lonzo got into the, he got into the mid range, did a behind the back step back, and it was it was filthy looking. But he's had a couple thirty point games in two out of three games, I think it is. He, he had a three before that, and then he hit that step back two. And uh, tell yeah. me, you see the box score in the or the uh, game logs and see the uh, the inconsistency with his three though? Isn't it weird? It's weird. It's really weird. And that part of that is 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 a new shot, but. I mean, he went 7-13 to 13 on Tuesday night. 1 of 9 the game before that against the Warriors. Before that, he hit 8 of 17. Scored 33 both of those nights that he wasn't off from 3. That's odd to me. Is that he's... And then the game before that, he was 0 for 8. So... He's not a pure shooter, but he's gotten a lot better at shooting. I was going to say, is it just a feel thing, like... Yeah, because that that kind of variance has to be maddening if you're a coaching staff. Probably, uh, but but it, it, luckily the, the defensive end is where he brings it the most. But just offensively, I'm talking that has to be maddening. So here's the closeout on the stuff thing. Okay, I'll read these off real quick. Since April first, here's how many points he scored per game: thirty six, thirty seven, forty one, thirty two, thirty eight, fifty three, forty two, thirty three, forty seven, forty nine, eighteen, thirty two, thirty seven, twenty seven, thirty seven, thirty, forty one, thirty seven. It's a lot of big numbers. A lot of big but, numbers, Brian. Uh there's only um there's only two games where he scored thirty or less in that stretch. Three. One was against the Cavs, know that. Yeah. He put Isaac up eighteen Coro. against the Wizards in the loss, in which he struggled shooting. But I mean, he's got you know, four games, five games over 40. It's a little impressive. It's kind of impressive. By the way, guys, you can check out him on basketballnews.com exclusively. We got him on the hottest stretch of his career, Rex Chapman, the Rex Chapman show with Josh Hopkins, Steph Curry, talking for an hour. So go check that out on our YouTube channel or on our website. Demanding that he be uh, named the MVP this year. Demanding, he says. <laughs> listen to this. Listen to this clickbait guy right here. Clickbait guy making an argument for himself to be the MVP. Is that better? There you go. There you go. That's yeah. a lot better. And he also talks about playing with Seth uh, when he was growing up and Dell and all that. So definitely check that out. Um, let's stay in the the Eastern Conference. There were two big games uh, in the last four days. Three days? I don't know how to say it. Yeah, four days. Uh, the Bucks played the Nets twice. Relatively full-strength games for the Nets. without I mean, obviously without James Harden. But Kyrie and KD played in both of those. The Bucks showed out. The Bucks showed out. Uh, they got the job done. Uh, beat them twice. Um, 
The first game I can tell you a lot more about than, than, than last night's game. The first game, it was just Giannis attacking DeAndre Jordan and them not bringing over any help whatsoever. That's the first game. That's the story of the first game. And then Chris Middleton making the right plays in the fourth quarter uh, in that game. Really fun one to watch, by the way. Really fun. Well, that one, one too, you know, KD went off, went off in that game too. Both, both KD and Giannis went off, but Drew Holiday shut down Kyrie Irving in that game. And Giannis with a big block down the stretch against KD, which is gorgeous. Do not see. You do not see that on Kevin Durant, someone who's supposed to have an unblockable shot. Yeah. Because he's so tall. Game two, uh, Kyrie had a much better game. I mean, he put up 38 and, you know, KD had 32, so he had a game, but Giannis put up 36 again. They were giving him three pointers and he hit him early on. He ended up, he had four out of 12, but like there was a stretcher. He made four of seven, I believe in that game. And I mean, once again, I think the Bucks played good defense down the stretch. They held the Nets to 24 points in the, in the final quarter. And Hey, you know what? They're missing Harden. But at the same time, I mean, these are big wins for the Bucs to show like down the stretch in close games. We're going to pull these out against good teams. Right, exactly. And again, I go back to Chris Middleton and, and Drew Holiday, but off the bench, I think Bryn Forbes has been really good. Um, you know, bringing him a presence that's wide open on the outside, shoot these threes uh, or in people's faces in some cases. Uh, his role has been kind of uh, a little bit of a roller coaster this year, but I think off the bench, he's been able to provide that scoring punch and really, really bring that three-point threat out. In the, in the, in, in the past five games, he's been in double figures. Uh, past five games, uh, he is actually averaging 16 points a game and shooting 56% from deep on six attempts uh, from deep. So that's huge. In one of those games, by the way, he scored 30. Uh, and that was against Houston on the road when when – you know, they, they actually lost that game and that's a really letdown game for them, <laughs> but that's also the night that uh, Kevin Porter jr. Scored 50 points and, you know, had his breakout. Yeah. Well, the Bucks but, have a yeah. great opportunity here too, because like the Nets have lost three in a row. The Bucks have won three in a row. There's only a game and a half that separates them between two and three. And when you look at the Bucks final seven games, it's not that tough. I mean, they're home for the wizards, but then they get the rockets Spurs, the Magic, the Pacers, the Heat, and they end with the Bulls. So that's not that difficult of a schedule down the stretch. Now, who knows if they're going to rest some guys or what's going to happen there, but they've got they've got a chance of moving up. They do. I, I will always be a Chris Middleton truther, by the way. Always will be a Chris Middleton truther. Um, and I think that bringing in a guy like Drew Holiday, it took him a minute to adjust offensively. But I think he's really found that groove now. I really do. Um, and that's scary for teams because he's a really good play finisher. Um, he can shoot the ball. He's, he's, he's proven to be able to make, make big shots and big moments. It hasn't translated to the playoffs yet. I understand that. But maybe that experience last season in the bubble can do that for him or the year before that. Um, I think it's truly going to be his time this year. It's almost Kyle Lowry-like as far as um, you know, those performances that, that were kind of a letdown. Um, and then, you know, he overcame that and, and won a finals and then boom, you know, Kyle was great. I think it could be a similar situation for Chris Middleton. Uh, it's always kind of been the, the eyes been on him uh, to step up in the big moments. I think with Drew Holiday there now to be able to take off some of the, the defensive pressure and some of the offensive pressure at that, 
um, is really going to help Chris Middleton come into his own this postseason. That's just that's just my opinion. You can really see the difference that having Drew Holiday on the court has made, especially when you are in tight games. What he does on both ends of the court, especially on defense, in that you can put him on a guy, and it, it's he's going to make that guy uh, have to really work for a shot. You know, Irv, Kyrie had a big game in their second game that they played on Tuesday night, but the one over the weekend, Holiday basically shut him down. And I mean, that's what you're going to get out of Drew is both ends of the court. You can really see it down, you know, at the end of the season, just how valuable he is, especially in these close games. And that's what you're going to have in the playoffs. And Hey, there's a good chance that the Nets and the Bucks are going to meet in the playoffs. Now, is James Harden going to be back? Probably. Hopefully he will be. Uh, so that's going to add another element to this. But at the same time, I mean, if we're going to get anything like we've gotten out of these last two games between them, you know, buckle up. How about these teams in the East, though, that are that are making stretch runs? Though, Like the, the Sixers are on a winning streak now that they got Ben Simmons back. The Bucks are looking solid. The Knicks continue to roll. Like it's been fun at the top of the East. I'm not going to lie. And I've enjoyed that. I've enjoyed both, you know, conferences, top, top teams. Cause I I feel like there's legitimately a, an unknown factor that comes into these playoffs this season, just with the uncertainty of everything. And uh, I really enjoy that. Are just such a story. And this is one of the things that you get, you know, especially with the NBA, but you get with sports all the time is kind of that unknown factor of who's going to come out of nowhere. And for the Knicks, I mean, I thought they'd be better. I don't know if anybody really saw this coming. I mean, and even, even after the first half of the season, I was still one of the people that was kind of like, Hey, they played really good. You know, they turned the corner a little bit, but let's see what they do in the second half. The, the schedule gets tougher and you know, you're going to be more tired on the second half, all these different things. They've gotten better in the second half. Now, a lot of that you got to give credit to is Derrick Rose because what he has brought to this team has been incredible, and we've talked about that before. But, hey, I mean, the the Knicks are legit good. Legit good. They're nine games over 500. They're probably going to be the four seed in the East. They've won nine of ten here. Julius Randle is still playing unbelievable basketball. I mean, Reggie Bullock's the most underrated player on that team. Yeah. And I think uh, Nerlens Noel might be a close second. I think Alec Burks is underrated. Nobody talks about that. He, he just he just got back from injury, but I agree. Yes, uh, when because he's back, he man. Just, yeah. I mean, I, I said this. I can't remember how many weeks ago. I said, I think I said, I think the Knicks could possibly win the first round, and that's it. I don't feel that way anymore watching this team. The, you know, the, I mean, there's a swagger, there's a confidence about him, man. There there's is a confidence. There's a toughness. There's a there's a sense of pride that they play with, and. Yeah. Look, don't don't look now, but they're one game away from being ten games over five hundred. Like that's yes. that, and that's pretty wild, pretty wild. And thinking about you know where they were starting. Um, I also wanted to shout out the Utah Jazz, six and three since Donovan Mitchell went down, really trying to hold court. Uh, still have a chance at that one seed um, if the Suns do lose, which is tough to see because they they're just rolling rolling it over right now, but. Um, you know, that, that's a testament to that coaching staff uh, to be able to to hold court while your superstar's out. Um, that's big time. And yeah. Bojan Bogdanovic, big part of that. Jordan Clarkson, big part of that. 
uh, speaking of Bogdanovich, there's another one in Atlanta who's <laughs> still doing, you know, the, the same thing. So the Bogdanovi, really, really good stuff. Uh, we didn't mention that uh, Melo's back. Lamelo's back for the, the Hornets. Uh, so that's good. Um, I will say this. Utah's schedule down the stretch is a little bit easier than the Suns. They do have the Rockets. They have the Thunder. And they have those pesky Sacramento Kings to end the season. There you go. Uh, but their schedule is a little bit easier than the Suns. But, I mean, both of those teams want that top seed. They want it. Oh, for sure. No question. Especially if, say... The Lakers ended up in the seventh seed. Oh, yeah. I would so, say so. I would what? love to see LeBron versus CP in the playoffs. That'd be so fun. Have we ever gotten that? No. There you, dude, we've that's never amazing. gotten Lakers Clippers either. And that's possible to happen in the first round. It should. It By the should. Way, I know the Nuggets lost the other night to the Lakers. However, nine and two in the Michael last Porter Jr. Without- Jamal Murray and Michael, Michael Porter, Porter Jr. Jr. and Nikola Jokic and I'm, Faku Kampazo. Real talk, like the, those guys are stepping up. PJ Dozier, um, they've got a lot of buy-in from those guys that have had to fill in. And Porter's it's been almost up like twenty-seven seamless. a night. Porter Porter is unbelievable lately. Um, I know he didn't have the the best game against the Lakers, but he, before that, had scored 30 twice in five games. In his last 10, he's putting up 25.6 rebounds, one and a half assists. Yep, and and he's tried to, you know, focus more on that defensive end. Um, It's still not a finished product, obviously, but I love that he's putting the ball on the floor now. He's not just settling for those threes that he feels is unblockable. (laughs) Like... He's, he's putting it on the floor. And we mentioned that earlier this season about the growth of Michael Porter Jr. We had always kind of suspected that he might be a part of a trade package, uh, but clearly their patience has paid off with this guy. I was one of those people that said, I don't know why you don't throw this guy in there. Like, I understand he's talented and has a lot of potential, but you have two guys that are star level right now, maximize that, put him in a trade package. If you can have to, to go out there and get a Bradley Beal or get whoever. And they have been patient with it, like you said, and it's paying off right now. It's too bad. They don't have Jamal Murray because, you know, they played better than I think a lot of people expected here down the stretch. And a lot of it because a Porter has stepped up. Yeah. I still have huge question marks about whether they are legit championship contenders because they are missing Jamal Murray. And that's such a big loss. It sucks that they've been without Will Barton for the last six games, too, because he's he really stepped up when Jamal left. Um, but I mean, you got guys like Aaron Gordon playing a role perfect for Aaron Gordon to to just kind of he doesn't have to do too much. He's he's there to to play defense and play that Jeremy Grant like role. Uh, he's not taking that many shots. He's become more efficient in that area. He can't he's not shooting very well from deep, um, but he is. Um, you know, benefiting from playing with the likes of a Nicole Jokic, who, let's be honest, is, you know, a part of that MVP conversation, if not the leader. Um, Austin Rivers has stepped in and, and done a decent job. Um, you know, like they, they've got, they've still got some momentum going for them. I, I don't quite, you know, kill this team yet. I, I, I just don't. And mind you too, they're still waiting on Monte Morris to get back. And Monte Morris is one of their, most heady players on the team. 
And and that's huge because he's going to be playing big minutes since since Murray's out. Uh, so definitely keep an eye on that. Uh, but since, since we have kind of gone bouncing back and forth and stuff like that, I did want to hit an article that came out this morning on uh, on The Athletic via Shams Tarania. Um, coaches on the hot seat, Brian. Uh, if you want to fill the audience in on the five that he pointed out, and we can just quickly go through each situation. Sure. So the five he points out, Nate Bjorken from the Pacers. Woj actually brought him up on Tuesday saying the more or less that the team has lost confidence in him and look out for him to get canned after the season. Uh, Terry Stotts with the Blazers, who's been there for nine seasons now. Um, there's been some talk that maybe some of the players have kind of jumped ship from him a little bit. And, you know, he's been there for a while and that team still – you know, they've made the Western Conference Finals just a couple of years ago. But outside of that, uh, I think they've wanted some more out of that team. Um, and they've, you know, they've gone through a lot when it comes to the roster and injuries and whatnot. Uh, Mike Budenholzer with the Bucks. there's a lot of belief that he has to go deep in the playoffs because otherwise, what other change is that gonna, team going to make? Because they've done as much as they can with that roster. Luke Walton with the Sacramento Kings, who probably are not going to make the play-in tournament, but you're holding out hope. You never know. Um, and there's some questions about Luke and whether or not they would really get rid of him because he is owed $11.5 million after the season. The Kings have had financial troubles. Plus, um, Luke is well-liked by his players. And Scott Brooks with the Wizards, who seemed like he was probably going to be uh, looking for a new place or to coach next When they were 12 season. games under five hundred. But now that they've come back and he has a special bond with Russell Westbrook, who he calls the second greatest point guard in NBA history, um, maybe not so much when it comes to him, but you know, his contract's up after the season too. But those are the five that uh, Shams looked at. Okay, so there you go. Out of those five, the most surprising to me, I'd say the most surprising to me and – I think most of those aren't, you know, too crazy, but honestly it's coach, Bud. like people leaking out of that, that, that building that right now, I feel like is interesting because the bucks have been fine this year. They have done their adjustments. Bud's going to a switching defense. He's not dropping Brooke Lopez every time now he's, you know, willing to make these changes and they've won six out of their last uh, eight games. So this just curious timing for me uh, for that information to come out, unless it was just being held on to, which might be the case, uh, but they've beaten the Sixers twice. They've beaten the Nets twice in that last stretch of two weeks. Those are the two that are on top right now. So I, 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 I guess it's showing in the playoffs. I understand that. But the timing of that piece coming out is interesting, especially when you look at the statuses of those other coaches that he's lumped in with. It is kind of weird when it comes to the timing, but we've kind of heard Coach Bud's name on there. For sure. Well, just because of the standpoint that what other changes can the Bucks make? Because they're, they are tied into this roster. I mean, they, they got Giannis. On the Supermax deal, he's locked up for five years. They made the big trade to get Drew Holiday, and he gave up a lot of draft capital when it came to that. So 
I don't know what other big roster moves that they could make. And the biggest move that they could do right now is a coaching change. And, you know, a lot of that's going to be like, how deep do they go into the playoffs? I don't, I don't think it's a got to win the championship. I don't even know if it's, you got to make it to the finals. Um, You at least got to get to the Eastern conference finals, I would think, but you know, that that's the only big change that they can do. I, I think that if, if the bucks were to go out in the first round, then definitely you would probably see a coaching change outside of that, depending on who they play in the second round and how that goes. And then beyond that, I think then you can have the conversation about whether or not they should make a coaching change. And I'm sure they will, but I think that's what you're looking at with the bucks is like, what else are we going to do? Like we are tied to this roster now. So I, I don't know what else they can do other than, say, hey, we need somebody else um, with a different voice here calling the shots in the locker room. Right. Who's yours? What? Who's yours that stands out? It's still Bjorkren because, <laughs> and this goes back even a couple of months when you started hearing talk like the, the team was ticked at him, like players were turning on him. But before then, it felt like, okay, he's a good coach. You know, they, they, they went through the injuries. You know, they lose TJ Warren, you know, for the season and – everything that has gone on, you know, with them, you know, when it comes to injuries and whatnot, but it seemed like he was going to be the right guy for them. And now, you know, Shams in this article says like players don't like him as much. He's rubbed people the wrong way. He's rubbed assistant coaches the wrong way with his style. Amazing. What losing does to you. I know. Like, like they literally were talking this guy up and down like a month into the season, like two weeks into the season, there were public comments from Sabonis literally pointing out how much more freedom he plays with uh, under Nate. And then you're going to go ahead and, and, and turn it around into this because there's been injury issues. There's been, uh, you know, like I, I, Oh God, that, that just, well, no, but, I mean, people had so much praise for him because, you know, he was under Nick nurse and they felt like he had a similar style and everything. But now there's a lot of talk that people have said, you know, he's got this analytic style of coaching players that maybe doesn't work for the roster. But the other thing is said, uh, basically they, he's rubbed the assistant coaches the wrong way in the way that he's talked to them about different things and the way that he has dealt with different things. And you add it all up and the season that they've had, it, it feels like there's been a lot of turnover when it comes to the coaching for the Pacers, you know, in the more recent history. And it, it sure sounds like he's on his way out unless they yeah. somehow turned it around very quickly. Cause when Woe just putting something like that out, that already is a bad enough sign. And it's followed up the next day with Shams, including him in this detailed article about five coaches that might have to look out. Um, that tells me that um, I hope he rented and didn't buy. There's, there's not that many one and dones in the league. I'm not going to lie, but like, I'm just looking at like some of the streak. They didn't have Sabonis or Brogdon for some of these. Like, I, I just don't, like player, you know, mentalities and, and front office mentalities just confuse me sometimes. Like, do they not, are they like fans that don't take context into, into effect? Like, well, it's I, like, just, what, I mean, I just don't get something it. That's I don't get incredible it. glaring. Um, Their defense is incredibly glaring. I will, I will give but you don't that. Don't you have to stick with the guy and say, we at least got to give you a couple of years. I mean, unless, unless there's something really egregious that is going on that just, we have to make a change. But otherwise, it's just like, if you keep having change all the time, like, how do you expect, expect to, to build anything? Play? Yes. They had a foundation. They had the right things going with Nate McMillan. I don't get why they changed it. Is it because he's a hard ass? Yeah, exactly. And you're telling me that those players couldn't 
couldn't handle it. Like that's no, no, that you don't, I don't like he it. He is known I, I for know. getting in people's faces and not being mean about it, but holding everybody accountable. You are going to do this. And you and that goes back to mentality. Then that just goes straight up back to mentality. If you can't, if you can't take coaching, you can't take coaching and make yourself better. Then good luck. Good luck being in this league. Good, good luck being a champion in this league. You know what that? the weird thing is too, because of that. And if that is the kind of the notes on this team, when it comes to not only management, but also the roster, who wants to coach that team? I mean, somebody's going to want that job and it's got a good young roster, you know, once they're healthy. Right. right. But, it, but I, you almost have to look twice about that going, oh, is this really the job that I want? Right, right. And we don't know what's going on behind the curtain there or whatever. And obviously, like when I said the same thing about the Hawks and Lloyd Pierce, and then they promote Nate McMillan and they're doing what they're, you know, what he's doing. And I knew that Nate McMillan was a good coach. I didn't know that he was going to take them to the heights that he has so far. Um, But clearly there was a misstep in Indiana. And if the players was the reasoning that Nate was given the boot, then uh, they should be looking themselves in the mirror right now and seeing what he's doing in Atlanta. Yeah. The Terry Stotts one does not surprise me simply because there comes a point where as much as you might like a coach that sometimes change is needed just for change sake. I mean, it it happens in other sports and there was, there has been some talk that maybe some of the players have kind of turned on him a little bit or aren't, you know, Partners is receptive. Yeah, yeah. You know, mm-hmm. but that, that happens after a while. You wear it's almost like a Doc Rivers situation, right? You know, yeah. you look how much you know how long he was with the, the Clippers and they decided to go a different direct direction. So the funny thing is, Brian, and we were talking about this before uh we started recording, as you said that the Blazers and Neil Oshi are looking for a splashy name, big name. Always gotta get that splash. Okay, can you name those candidates for me? The splashy names are Lakers assistant Jason Kidd, Hawks interim coach Nate McMillan, Sixers assistant Dave Yeager, Clippers assistant Chauncey Billups, Spurs VP of basketball operations Brent Berry. Okay. Now on that list, how many would be one uh, first-time coaches? Two? Three? Right. Uh, Billups and Brantman Berry. Right. And do they have any coaching experience whatsoever? No. Well, Billups so, is an assistant, but none of they don't have any head coaching. Okay, so that makes sense. Okay. Uh I'm just kind of referring back to you know the Steve Nash hire this past offseason, and he wasn't an assistant or on benches. He was always player development and stuff like that, but he was never actually, you know, on the benches. Well, here's what uh, I would say about the candidates the, because if you sit there and you talk about Jason Kidd, okay, we've got a point guard that maybe can relate to our best player because Dame Lillard obviously is a point guard, but we know the track record on Jason Kidd. So would we want him or do we want somebody that is um doesn't have that kind of track record? played more recently, but also played point guard in Chauncey Billups. Um, that's what I look at between those two. The other ones, I would say when it comes to Nate McMillan and Dave Yeager, those are more traditional coaches. And Very McMillan, traditional. He might get the permanent job in Atlanta. I don't know. Brett Berry was the one that was a little bit surprising to me, you know, when it comes to this list. Yeah, I, I have the perfect solution, and you don't have to look any further. David Vanderpool, okay, listen he has a previous relationship with most of that team. Dame and CJ publicly vouched for him to get that Minnesota job. Once Ryan Saunders was fired. The answer staring you right in the face. If you do part ways with Terry Stotts. 
staring you right in the face. But no, let's be splashy. Let's get a big name. That always works. Nah. Go get David Vanderpool. Call it a day if you get rid of Terry. I agree. And Vanderpool has got to be on list for other teams that might make a change. Has to be. He has, has to be. To be. Um, and, speaking and- of the Blazers, by the way, uh, sorry to cut you off, um, but just you know, about to wrap up here. Uh, Carmelo. Carmelo, 10th all time on the scoring list. Um, you know, passes Elvin Hayes. Congratulations to Carmelo. Just a few years ago, we thought he was done. That was it. Um, that was a, a lot of um, politicking, I say, um, that he was out of the league. I feel like is, is a good way to describe it. Uh, there was the on-court evidence that he wasn't really transitioning into a, a role player role uh, very well when you look at the sample size from OKC in Houston, right? But for him to be out of the league for two years and not be on a team at all was preposterous. Um, we So we lost, a, you know, a, a couple seasons of Mellow or a season and a half, however you want to look at it. But he came back and he's proven that he can buy into a role and he can still be that jab, step in, score, and mellow that, that everyone knows and loves. Uh, a three-point assassin the last couple of years with Portland. Um, and, and he's bought in. And it, it's really refreshing to see. Um, you know, his role might start to diminish. He's turning 37 at the end of May. But uh, a decorated career nonetheless. It's been great to see him thrive the last couple of seasons in Portland. Uh, I think you're going to continue to see that come into the playoffs as well. Um, and he's really bought into that bench role this year. Uh, so congrats to Melo on that. And uh, Brian, I believe you said that before we started recording this, he is close to passing Moses Malone as well. He's 92 points away from passing Moses Malone. And then past that, he's about 1,200 away from passing Shaq. And you talk about those two seasons that he lost. Because if he got those back and say he plays for a couple more, he could have probably gotten all the way to sixth, which would be passing, you know, Dirk. Um, So Dirk's at six, Wilt's at seven, Shaq's at eight, Moses is at nine. So, I mean, he could get up there. I I don't think he could get to Jordan because that would be too big of a stretch. I mean, he's about 5,000 away from Jordan right now. But, I mean, if he, I mean, if he had those seasons where he's playing and even putting up like, say, 10 a game and then you know he's got say another year or two left he could challenge he could have challenged for that even now you know he's going to pass Moses and I could easily see him passing Shaq so he could get to where he's eighth all time for probably one of the more unheralded and maybe more underappreciated careers in NBA history I would have to agree and um admittedly uh, you know, middle of his career, I was not the biggest fan because he did have a lot of tunnel vision. He wasn't a, a great passer, but he's changed that. He's, 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 he's matured. He's, you know, he might not be the best physical defender there is, but damn it, he's going to try. Uh, and, and if you haven't given him a chance and, and watched the film, then you're just doing yourself a disservice. There is all of that. Plus one of the biggest sins that Carmelo committed oh i can't even put it that way it's not his fault this is the okc comment no 
No. So you played in the same era as LeBron James. No. Yeah. That's the biggest thing against him. Look at who he's being compared to. And Dwayne Wade. The, the same year. Yep. And I, I mean, I worked in sports radio for a long time. And I remember even that first year, I, I worked with a host who tried to make the comment like, I don't know what everybody's talking about LeBron James, man. Carmelo Anthony's going to be the better player. Hot take, hot take. You know, kind of things like that. And I looked at it like, and I've always looked at it this way, like LeBron is LeBron. I mean, that is a once in a generation player. However, Carmelo Anthony is an incredible player. Yes, he's not going to play defense like some other guys. LeBron didn't play, you know, top-notch defense for a lot of his career as well. Okay, we'll put that, you know, in context. And by the way, when Carmelo played, it was also at the height of Kobe Bryant. And then he went, you know, he's played in his entire career at the same time as LeBron James. Okay, so, you know, but it doesn't diminish what this guy has done. He's been an incredible player. And I think a lot of people would be surprised to sit here and go, wait a second. He's 10th all time in NBA scoring. 10th? Carmelo Anthony? Yeah, that's how good of a player he is. And he's going to finish probably 8th. Yep. And uh, again, shout out to Mello. Kept pushing, kept believing. And uh, that's admirable. It's very admirable. I think that'll wrap it up for us, Bri. Uh, the only other thing I wanted to, to, to quickly mention was John Morant is an athletic freak. Um, he <laughs> had a, uh, a windmill um, alley-oop. Uh, Memphis, you know, still there at 500, still trying to scratch and claw and, and make sure that they get into that play-in tournament. And um, to, to position themselves for seating. Um, also wanted to shout out Mo Bamba in uh, Orlando. Had a 22-15 and 15 game the other night. Still got hope for that kid. Think he's going to be able to, to do some things in this league. Um, yeah, yeah. And then Minnesota as well. Minnesota has uh, gotten onto a, a winning uh, kind of kind of role here. They've won five out of seven, I believe it is. Um, and and that's, a, that's positive signs. Uh, for for head coach Chris Finch and that uh, young core moving forward. D'Angelo Russell, big time off the bench too. And I will say this, because you are the number one bandwagon leader for the Sacramento Kings, if they make the play-in tournament, I will get you a Sacramento Kings hat. I'm all in. I'm all I will, in. I will get you a Sacramento Kings hat, and we will have a picture posted with a clip of the podcast that we put out there and yes. you will be sporting your sparkly new, I'll let you pick out the hat too. Yes. I, I mean, yes. it's not going to be like some hundred dollar blinged out hat. It will be a normal King's hat, but I'll let you pick it. And um, you know, cause I know how much you like to wear bedazzled gear, but we will get you a King's hat that you will proudly wear because you are the believer of the Sacramento Kings, the upstart Kings that will not lay down for anybody that late in the season when everybody's written them off, they will beat the Mavericks, not once, but twice. They will be the defending champion Lakers and they will fight tooth and nail and claw their way into the playing tournament. The Sacramento Kings. Those last place Pacific division Sacramento Kings, man, they don't lay down for anybody. Nobody, especially when there's a play. tournament. Bang, bang. I am all in for that. Is there anything that I can lose from that? <laughs> like, is no, there... it's an all winning situation. You're, it's an all winning situation. So I don't owe you yeah, anything you if they don't you do, do it. Not, you, you, will, you owe me an apology on the podcast saying, I apologize for believing in the Kings and you did not and you were right. That's, that's it. 
Okay. All right. No, I can, I can deal with that. I can deal with that. And I very much look forward to my Sacramento Kings hat because that, uh, that sounds enticing. So let's go Kings. Let's go. Buddy healed. Rashawn Holmes. I thought Harkless. you watched a lot of Sacramento basketball already, but now, man, it's going to be crazy. All we, all we need to get in, all we need is to get in, and then De'Aaron Fox take us to the promised land. So let's do it, Kings. Let's do it. All right, keep it at 94. That's going to do it for us today. Once again, would like to tell you that we are a part of the basketballnews.com podcast network. Nine other great podcasts for you to listen to. The Rex Chapman Show with Rex Chapman and Josh Hawkins. They just had James Jones on. The GM for the number one team in the NBA, James Jones, former teammate of LeBron James, former NBA champion exclusively on the Rex Chapman show. So make sure to go check that out. That's champ. Champ's my guy. Loved him in years when he was here in Cleveland. Neat and unfiltered with Kenyon Martin and Jadakiss. The postcast with James Posey. He just had Mario Chalmers on, another former LeBron James teammate. Dishes and dimes with the ladies. The rematch with Aton Thomas. The Dunker Spot with Nikias Duncan and Steve Jones Jr., one of the hottest podcasts out there right now, not just in basketball, but in sports. The Alex Kennedy Podcast with Alex Kennedy, The Sheridan Show with Chris Sheridan, The Fall Through with Clips and Drew, NBA Top Shot Weekly with Alex Kennedy and Al Maroney. And then, of course, you got us here at Keep It at 94, your boys, Spencer Davies, Brian Fritz. You can find us on Twitter. I'm at Spin Davies. He's at Brian Fritz. I'm on Instagram at Spin Davies. He's on Instagram at It's Brian Fritz. Until next time, when the Sacramento Kings win three straight and we continue to have this conversation and it's more likely that I get my bedazzled, sparkling Kings hat, I bid you adieu. Go Kings. Get out those cowbells. <laughs>